0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're listening to This Week in Sports. I'm your host, as always, The Pody. It is Tuesday, July 27th, 2021. Yay. um, Guys, I have to apologize because it's been, I want to say, at least three weeks since I've done a podcast. Um, the reason for that being that um I've been producing an audiobook, I took another audiobook job. Um, it was a really long one, nine and a half hours or so total. I put in probably two hundred or more hours working on it. And overall, uh, I just finished it up over the weekend. It was due over the weekend. So I'm excited. I will let you guys know when that drops so you guys can uh, go purchase it, listen to it. Maybe if you guys are interested, I think I get like free copies that I could send to friends, family, et cetera, for re- reviews and such things like that. But uh, right now, usually I do podcasts on a Friday, but I was frisk, feeling frisky, decided to do one tonight. I'm actually in Murals Inlet, South Carolina, Myrtle Beach, whatever. Um, and I'm doing the podcast on location here. So I don't have my roadcaster Pro. So the sound quality might sound a little bit different. I still have my, you know, um, my Rode uh, Procast, uh, excuse me, Rode mic, um, yeah, the Procaster, um, and my Focusrite uh, Scarlet Solo. So, and then I'm using a bunch of EQing and um, stuff like that in Logic. And it'll, I'm sure it'll sound fine. But anyway, if you do hear some slight noise in the background, it's, I don't know, crickets or something, whatever it is. There's some crazy palmetto bugs and crazy insects here in South Carolina. We just had the exterminator come by this afternoon to spray and whatnot because we've been finding all sorts of creepy crawlers. And I'm not um, much of a fan for those. So anyway, we're going to dive right in. I played golf today. I'm a little bit tired. But anyway, we're going to jump right in and uh, get this thing started talking the Summer Olympics. Not many people are interested in this, and you're probably listening to this going, uh, you're going to talk about the Olympics. But it's the biggest, really, event going on right now. We didn't have the Olympics last year. Now we have them this year. And 33-year um, low with the opening ceremony viewership, it's, they're not doing well at all but I'm going to recap it anyway, so um, let's dive right in. Anyway, let's talk Summer Olympics. Um, start with Team USA men's basketball. They lost their opening game to France 83-76, to despite coming in as 12.5-point favorites. We saw this in the preliminary uh, games, um, coming in as huge favorites and then having... Disastrous game. So, this year's Team USA team is not, you know, the 92 Dream team like years past. You've got basically Kevin Durant and company trying to get things done. Um, but I don't know what's going on with this team. Maybe it's the fact that Greg Popovich should not be coaching. I think it's time to hang it up and retire. He's really been tarnishing his legacy of late. Um, he's had a tough run the last couple of years in San Antonio. And I mean, I'm not going to call it quits on team USA right now, because they're still the odds on favorite to win the gold um, at this Olympic games, but to lose in your opening game to France coming in double digit favorites, not good. It's their third loss in their last five international games. They lost both to Nigeria and Australia. It also marked the first time Team USA men's basketball lost in the Olympics since 2004 um, against Argentina. Oh, my God. So, yeah, you think 2004, that's a long time ago. Well, there was a lot of firsts in this Olympics so far for Team USA. Um I think a plane's going by right now, so you guys can ignore that. But anyway, before the start of the Olympics, U.S. came in as minus 1,000 betting favorites. If you don't know much about betting, you'd have to wager. Um, actually, if you wagered $100, that would return you $10 if Team USA won the Olympic gold. So basically, you have to bet $1,000 to win 100 So you would get back $1,100. Well, after they lost to Nigeria and Australia, that plummeted to minus 500. Now, after losing the opening game to France, they've dropped even further to minus 250. So you only have to put down 250 bucks to get 100 bucks back. So then 350. So, you know, not bad, actually. Might be worth putting some money on Team USA right now with those odds because those are much better. But I will say this much, that loss to France, I'm not going to fault them too, too much on that. Because when you think about it at the end of the day, um, excuse me, at the end of the day, Team US, they got Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. um, And those guys flew in and possibly even Brooke Lopez. Those guys all flew in after winning an NBA title a couple weeks ago, after a parade, a 14 hour flight. Uh, That's a lot of things going on there. And jet lag is definitely something that played a part in that. So I'm not going to, you know, they didn't get blown out in this game, so I'm not gonna go crazy over, over the one loss. But, you know, it's something to keep an eye out for for sure. Okay, next up, let, let's talk uh swimming. Chase Kalish became the first American to medal when he took gold in the four hundred meter individual medley. The if you don't know much about Chase, um He's 27 years old from Maryland. He is a former training partner of Michael Phelps. He did win silver in 2016 in Rio in this event. And on Saturday night, he edged U.S. teammate Jay Litherland by 0.86 of a second for the gold. Uh, Take a listen. Pretty cool.
1: Kalish is in the lead. Lane seven, Litherland making a run here. Litherland looks like he's in second right now. Kalish is going to win gold for the United States. And Litherland is trying to make it a 1-2 finish for the Americans. It's going to be close for the silver. Kalish wins gold. Litherland gets the silver. 1-2 for the United States. What a way to start it off.
0: Yeah, really cool way to start it off there for the Americans. I mean, we usually always dominate men's and women's in swimming. uh, what, uh men's is more competitive. Women, we seem to win a lot in in those uh, um, swimming events. So that was a good start for the U.S. And then um, a really cool moment for uh, Anastasia Zolotich. She became the first woman in United States history to win gold in taekwondo she is just 18 years old she defeated tatiana minina of russia with a dominating 25-17 performance in the gold medal bout that was a cool moment
1: be enough to get out of the way
0: We are under 10 seconds, and
1: I am am losing it slowly and surely because in two seconds, in two seconds, we have the first woman gold medal in Olympic history. Anastasia Zelotich did the thing. This is what we've been waiting for, working for, dreaming about. This is a moment in time. I I can't take it. I can't take it. I can't take it. I can't take it. I can't take it.
0: Yeah, and you could hear the announcer. Uh, just a really cool, exciting moment. Uh, she, you know, did her country proud. She's a 18 year old from Florida, so just awesome. There, I didn't know that we've never won gold in taekwondo, so that was awesome. Very cool. Then we had another first as 27 year old Lee Kiefer wins gold in fencing. Um, cool, interesting story about her when the pandemic shut everything down, she had to practice in her parents' basement and her husband actually helped her. I think, you know, this was in Ohio. She's from, a, uh, she's a university of Kentucky student, but er er she is from, no, she's born in Kentucky, I believe. And she practiced in her parents' basement in Ohio and her husband had to help her build this, you know, fencing practice area in the basement. Um so that was really cool. Uh also interesting, 27, that's a little bit on the older side for the Olympics. She failed to medal in both 2012 and 2016. Despite thinking her career was over, she worked her uh butt off, made it at one point up to number 1 world ranking. Um and when she just won gold the other day, she was ranked number 5 in the world and she did knock off the number 1 ranked player from Russia. So really cool moment. Uh you can listen To the final seconds here.
1: A gold medal for Lee Kiefer and the United States. History made in Tokyo. An American fencing first. Lee Kiefer becomes the first American man or woman to win individual foil gold, or for that matter, a medal of any kind on the Olympic stage.
0: What a beautiful moment for Lee and her coach, Amgad Khazbat. They have been training together. Yeah, so really cool moment. And you heard first male or woman from the U.S. to win gold in fencing. A lot of firsts for the U.S. Uh, this, this go around. So that's pretty cool. So congratulations to Lee. Then you had um, Will Shayner. He became the first American ever to win gold in the men's ten meter air rifle. Like I said, a lot of firsts. Um I don't understand the air rifle competition. They used a lot of technology. There's a computer. I don't know if they're actually shooting anything, or it's almost like a simulation with the air rifle, and then this it just appears on the screen. So it's kind of honestly it's very boring to watch. So I'm not there's no real audio for that, but He pretty much dominated, and I think he's 20 years old from the University of Kentucky. So congratulations to Will. Then you had Caleb Dressel, Blake Peroni, Bowen Becker, and Zach Apple. They secured gold in the men's 4 by 100 meter freestyle uh, relay. Like I said, U.S., uh, we usually dominate in the pool, obviously going back to Michael Phelps. And this, this relay was pretty much led by Caleb Dressel. Um, so that was pretty good. Take a listen to uh this- back to back gold medals in this event Caleb. You step in the pool, you win gold. What's the feeling like right now with this? I mean, it
1: feels great. We knew there was a huge target on our back every every, every, go around, so it feels nice to... I mean, I'd say we dominated that pretty well. <laughs> you want to know your splits?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Caleb, 47-2. Blake, 47-6. Bo, 47-4. Zach, 46-6. How does that sound? That sounds good to me. (laughs) What can you say about the group? I mean, you had some rookies in here, and they really pulled together for this. Yeah, I mean,
1: we're never going to doubt ourselves. I mean, that's how Team USA works. You know, we had, I think, a couple people, you know, rule us out in that event. And, you know, we're never going to take that. So it feels nice to dominate that event. And have that back on home soil.
0: Any nerves brought on by the Italians? They came out pretty fast.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be nerves. Regardless of who's in first, I mean, it's an Olympic final. There's going to be some nerves, you know. So. Guys, congratulations. What a show.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so uh, congratulations to those guys there for winning the gold in the 4 by 100 meter freestyle relay. We had a first for U.S. swimmer Katie Ledecky. She lost uh, for the first time at the Olympics. She was beaten out by Australia's Ariarn uh, Titmus in the 400-meter freestyle. She was uh, later able to bounce back nicely to win her 200 and 1,500-meter uh, heats. She set an Olympic record in the 1,500-meter freestyle and now advances to the semifinals in both events first time uh she lost there wow then another first we had lydia jacob late uh, jacoby excuse me late on monday night she took gold in the women's 100 meter breaststroke just 17 years old and she is from alaska becoming alaska's first ever olympic swimmer this was a really cool one Jacobi-
1: there in lane three, challenging, challenging We've got ten meters left. Lydia Jacoby, the seventeen-year-old from Alaska, is putting on the surge of her career, and Lydia Jacoby is going to win gold from the United States.
0: Yeah, how cool is that? Nobody expected her to win that. Um, so she came out of nowhere at, to take gold, and her hometown, Alaska. There's videos out there. They're just going absolutely nuts. And she couldn't even believe that she won it herself. So really, really cool. All right, that uh, is it for the Olympics. Just for now, I'll come back to that in a little bit. But we have the NBA draft set for Thursday. Um, Obviously, with the NBA draft coming up, you know, uh, Cade Cunningham is expected to go number 1 but I just had a stat up here yeah um obviously Cade Cunningham's expected to go number 1 should be a good draft it's interesting to see what happens but from 1966 to 2006 no freshman was selected with the top pick since then there have been 13 including each of the last 11 NBA drafts so there's a good chance a freshman goes number one in the NBA draft and sticking with the NBA we did have um, an interesting trade occur earlier or uh, last week um, or over the weekend I'm not quite sure I've, I'm not uh, quite sure there but um, it was between Memphis and New Orleans it sent Eric uh, Memphis excuse me New. if I could talk New Orleans sent Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams, along with the number 10 and 40 picks, to Memphis for Jonas Valanciunas, the 17 and 51st picks. So that's all about a salary dump there in terms of Valanciunas. Um, Yeah, interesting, interesting trade. Uh, I don't know exactly what the Pelicans are doing of late, but um, yeah. Really, really strange there because basically you're just trading centers. Stephen Adams, a center, Balanchunas, a center. Um, yeah, it it you, you got me. The Pelicans are supposed to be centered around Zion Williamson, so I don't know if this helps them get any better. Um, sending away the number ten pick is it, it's not a good one, but um, it's about a salary dump there with Stephen Adams and Bledsoe is not expected. Reports out of there are that Bledsoe is not expected to stay in Memphis. So uh, we'll see where he ends up going. I mean, the Knicks could use a point guard. Just throwing it out there. Okay, um, so we've got the NBA draft on Thursday, and then Major League Baseball's trade deadline is set for Friday. We've already had a number of trades, the first trade being the Rays. They added veteran D.H. Nelson Cruz. Um, He just keeps getting better with age, 41 years old, and he's going to add to an already potent lineup, and that's a playoff contending team right there. They're currently second between a game, game and a half, or half a game out with Boston all season, so that should be a fight to the finish, and they should secure a playoff spot and make some noise in the playoffs. The uh, Mets, they added Rich Hill from the Rays. Speaking of the Rays, right? Um, Hill signed a one-year, $2.5 million deal with the Rays and has pitched to a solid 3.87 ERA. Um, I mean, he's another guy that just keeps getting better with age, right? So I'm checking in on the Yankees right now because they are playing the Rays. So they've got first and second with uh, one out. So I'm just checking in on that. Sorry. But yeah, Rich Hill to the Mets. Um. Makes sense for the Mets to go out and get a starting pitcher. They're clinging to this top spot in the NL East with the Phillies hot on their their heels, but DeGrom just went on the 10-day IL, and Carlos Carrasco and Noah Syndergaard trying to come back from more severe injuries. We don't know if they will make it back. Um, Syndergaard, we're really not sure because he was shut down earlier in a rehab stint, and he's been shelved, I think, since. Then you've got um, Carrasco. He should be back, but... You just never know when they're coming back from these types of injuries. So they needed a starter pronto. Um it, it's interesting though for the for the Rays because um you figured that they that they would have um kept Rich Hill because obviously Tyler Glass now went down with the Tommy John surgery. Um, with the elbow injury, so it, it's a little shocking um, that they would make this trade. But hey, they've got you know elite prospects left and right. Um, in terms of this deal, the Rays in return they get reliever Tommy Hunter, who's been on the sixty-day IL and only pitched in uh, four games for the Mets, so no great significant loss there. And then uh, catching prospect Matt Dyer. does have the ability and can play other positions as well so definitely the type of guy that the rays uh you know look for then the probably biggest trade thus far that we've had is the padres going out and acquiring pirates all-star infielder adam frazier for a trio of prospects frazier a versatile player he can slide into second base or play the outfield he probably will um, sl- slate in at second base there for the Padres, which would then give them four all-star infielders. Um, just think about that for a second. Yikes. Um, he helps bolster that infield. Um, like I said, he could also play the outfield. It's a solid move for San Diego because as good as they are right now, they're still trying to catch the Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants. I can't believe the Giants are still hanging on to first place right now. Best record in baseball. It's quite shocking. I don't think in the end, when everything's said and done, that they will hold on to that. But either way, it's still very, very impressive. The A's, who currently hold the AL's second wildcard spot, they added some depth to their bullpen by acquiring Cubs left-handed reliever Andrew Chafin. The deal is pending review of med- excuse me, of medical records. That was as of yesterday. I don't know if that's gone through yet but that'll help bolster their bullpen a little bit. You had the Yankees announcing Monday, yes, so yesterday, that they had acquired right-handed reliever Clay Holmes from the Pirates in exchange for Hoy Park and Diego Castillo. This is just basically insurance for the loss of veteran reliever Darren O'Day, likely done for the year with a hamstring injury. Um, I don't know much about Holmes, but he has pitched to a 4.93 ERA thus far for Pittsburgh out of the pen this year. That is not good. Um, So I'm just going to have to wait and see what this guy has um, in a game before I make any conclusions. But I don't have any faith anymore in Brian Cashman um, or this front office. So I'm not impressed by this move. Um, and speaking of the Yankees, they had a brutal weekend starting with their four-game series on Thursday with Boston. The Yankees should have taken three out of four from the Red Sox in Fenway. They had a golden opportunity. And just when you think they're turning that corner, eh, boom, it blows up in their face. Aaron Boone finds a way to uh, to lose a game. The Yankees have no ability to close out a game with a four-run plus plus lead in the eighth inning or later. They've blown four of them already this year, which is a ties a franchise record. But let's start with Thursday's five-four loss in ten uh, in ten innings when the genius that is Aaron Boone brings in Chad Green in the ninth inning after Louis Sessa threw just six pitches in the eighth inning and was dealing. All you have to do is bring Sessa back out. You have a two-run lead. You're up three to one Brings Sessa out for the ninth. They didn't touch him. He threw six pitches, and clearly he had it going. Well, you bring in Chad Green, who's been up and down this year, and what does he do? He blows the two-run lead. The game goes to extra innings. Then Aaron Boone, the genius that he is, brings in Brooks Krisky who I think is a rookie, and he proceeds to throw four wild pitches in the inning, and the Yankees lose the game on a sacrifice fly to right field shocker. Okay. Then again on Sunday night or Sunday afternoon, the, the Yankees are winning this game three, nothing. I think they score a run in the eighth. It's four, nothing. Domingo Herman is throwing the game of his life. He has a no hitter going into the eighth inning. He's upwards around 90 or so pitches, right? He gives up, I believe a leadoff double There was either one out or no outs, double to Verdugo. Aaron Boone immediately takes him out with a four-run lead. His pitch count hadn't even reached 100 yet. Give him another batter at least. And if he gives up another hit, then you take him out. If he gets an out, you just keep him in there. He was dominating all game. He takes him out and brings in, guess who? Jonathan Loisica, who's been great all year, should have been an all-star, but who's had uh been on the COVID list since the all-star break, coming back in his first game action, he gave up, I think, something like four straight hits, gives up four runs, five total, including that leadoff double that gets tagged to Herman, uh to to Herman. It, it, and uh, uh of course the Yankees have a no hitter in the eighth inning, up four nothing. And then guess what? It falls apart. They lose five to four at just just absolutely crushing. So they lose three out of four when they should have won three out of four and made up headway, made up some ground in that AL East. Um, Now they're sitting probably, I think like four and a half games back of a wild card spot. Let's double check it right now. Um, Of course, they had first and second one out and they couldn't find a way to score. So let's see the standings. Currently, the Yankees are, okay, three and a half games back. They're behind Tampa Bay and Oakland. Um, they're still in it. Let's see what happens. But yeah, um, just not not a good couple of days for the Yankees. Okay, back to the trade deadline stuff. One more quick note. There is uh, said to be at least seven contenders active in the starting pitching market now, including the Yankees, Red Sox, Giants, Dodgers, Padres, Astros, and Phillies. The big name here obviously is Max Scherzer, um, but I don't think that he wants to go to the Phillies. He would probably veto a trade to Philadelphia after that blow up earlier this month with Joe Girardi wanting him checked three times in one inning for uh, sticky stuff. So uh, yeah, interesting to see how how things play out with the starting pitcher market. Okay, um, last but not least in terms of baseball, It was announced Friday morning with a video that was narrated by Tom Hanks that the Cleveland Indians will be changing their name to the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, For the first time since 1914, the team in Cleveland will be called something different. It's disappointing that we are, uh, you know, kneeling to this small percentage of people in America. I don't know if I will ever be able to call them the Guardians. It's going to take some getting used to. The name has no flair. And as Aubrey Huff uh, poignantly said it, I think he said it best. It's very interesting that they're calling themselves the Cleveland Guardians when they couldn't even guard their own damn name. So I just, I, I don't understand. It's been in place since 1914. It's tradition. Nobody was mad about this. All of a sudden, this came out of nowhere two years ago when all of a sudden there was this small coalition that was upset over the Washington Redskins team name. And now for two years, they've looked idiotic and moronic as they continue again this year to go by the name Washington football team. They don't even have a solid, solitary name. And until they do, I am going to continue to call them the Redskins. And I'm sorry if I offend anybody by doing that, but I really don't think I am offending anybody because that's all I've ever known them as. Fans of the Redskins, uh, my friend's father calls them the Redskins, has Redskin gear like that's not going away. And now a good point was made as well with Major League, the movie Major League. Um, with Charlie Sheen, what are they going to do? Censor out the name? Are they going to like take the movie away? Like You can't change history. You can't hide it. This is the Cleveland Indians, and I guarantee you people in Cleveland are not happy about this. So I just don't understand why we are making changes because one small little iota of America is upset over this. I, it just it's crazy in my opinion, and it makes no sense and you're gonna lose fans and you're gonna lose viewership, et cetera, etc. Cetera. But here we are. Cleveland Guardians. Let's see if that if a name change could could help them win a World Series. okay, the u s. men's national team, they beat Jamaica in the gold Cup quarterfinals, thanks to a Matthew hop header in the eighty second minute. They will now play Qatar in the semis on Thursday. I believe unfortunately, that's around the same it's at seven thirty, right around the same time as the NBA uh, draft. So you could kind of have both of those on. The draft probably starts at 8. This game starts, this match starts at 7.30. Um, Qatar is no slouch. They're like the uh, winners coming out of Asia, which is shocking because they're such a small uh, country. But um, should they win that match, they will play the winner of Mexico and Canada. I don't know why I said it like that. They will play the winner of Mexico and Canada. So uh, I will be watching that. I will set a reminder to make sure I watch that match uh, Thursday, 7.30. Tune in. That's Eastern time. Okay, there's also big news coming out of the college ranks. The decision by Oklahoma and Texas, they have announced they will not be renewing their grants of media rights after their expiration in 2025. This all but ensures they will be departing from the Big 12 and joining the SEC. It's a great day for Oklahoma and Texas, very bad for the rest of the Big 12, as they're going to now have to scramble and figure out what to do. This has now brought brought about talks of the Big 10 expanding, bringing in teams like Oregon, USC, Washington. Uh, this is just crazy and bizarre. It's bad enough. Rutgers has to compete with the likes of Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and now you're talking about bringing in a team like USC, although not the same powerhouse they used to be, but imagine having to play Washington. You're going to have to go all the way across country to play some of these teams and vice versa. This is just asinine. It's totally insane, and I think it ruins the landscape of college, college sports uh, in general. Now, you know t- Kansas is a big powerhouse in the Big 12. What are they going to do? Do they jump ship and go to the Pac-12? Do they come to the Big Ten now? I'm, it's just, it's crazy. It's all over the place. Um, but this is very, this, this is developing. It's fluid. We'll see what comes of this um, in due time, really. Okay, um, there's been an agreement. Finally, the stalemate between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers has concluded officially, basically. Um, as of yesterday, they were on the verge of a deal. And according to Adam Schefter, over the past two weekends, uh, or over the past weekend, the two sides were able to reach a mutually agreed upon um, terms that are close to convincing Rodgers to abandon plans. He had to skip training camp and instead return for it. Concessions do not include more money. No, those concessions are that after this year in 2022, he will basically get his pick of the litter and get a trade of his choice. Essentially. So, if the Packers sign off on their willingness to trade him and the agreement is finalized, um, yeah, he will receive the freedom to decide where he wants to play. This all according to Adam Schefter. This sets up Green Bay perfectly now to re sign Devontae Adams. I mean, why would he go anywhere else? And the odds also have changed on the Packers to win the division. Started at plus 150, they are now minus 120 favorites to win the AFC North. I would take that bet as well. And Rodgers uh, rejoined the Packers this morning ahead of tomorrow's start of training camp. He was photo. Uh, there was a photo taken of him that's gone a little bit viral. He's looking his laid-back self, um, you know, strolling in the parking lot in flip-flops with his little, I think, duffel bag or something. Um, so yeah, Aaron Rodgers is back in Green Bay. Uh, The New York Jets have a quarterback problem of their own. Rookie quarterback Zach Wilson has still not yet reported to training camp. Training camp, I believe, started either today or starts tomorrow. As of this afternoon, he remains unsigned as the two sides fight over language in his contract. Wilson, along with the number three pick quarterback Trey Lance, who went to the San Francisco 49ers, they are the lone draft picks who have not signed their contracts. Difference between the 49ers and the Jets. The 49ers have Jimmy Garoppolo. The Jets have no other quarterback, so they need Zach Wilson. And one of their quarterback coaches, in Greg Knapp, was just killed in a bis- a freak bicycling accident where he was run over by a car. So um, this is just a disaster right now. And, and uh, R.I.P. to Greg Knapp. His, this was his first year. He coached a number of years in the NFL. Uh, played at Sacramento State, was a grad assistant there. Then moved up into the ranks of the NFL. Was very respected. 58 years old. Um, he leaves behind his wife and 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 uh, kids. So just horrible. But he was one of the Jets' quarterback coaches. Um, and you now have a rookie who's going to have less time. He's the only. He's the lone Jet player not to report for training camp. They need to get this done. This is typical of the Jets, right? And here's the holdup. Believed to be over. Offset language in the contract. Offsets allow teams to recoup money if a player is cut before his contract is over and signs with another team. Most teams require offsets, but it has been a sticking point in rookie deals over the past decade or so. This is just typical because, as their future quarterback and supposed day one starter, why is there a holdup? If You're confident enough in your pick, Joe Douglas and co, then just get the damn deal done and he will live up to the hype and he will live out his contract. Because guess what? If he doesn't live out his contract, it don't matter about getting the money back. You will not be the general manager of the New York Jets by that point. So it matters. Zero. Zilch. Get this deal done and get Zach Wilson a training camp. He's in California right now. I I mean, this is absurd. This should not be happening. Um, in other NFL news, the the Saints announced Michael Thomas. He I I don't know if he's undergoing a procedure on his ankle or foot, but he's going to miss some time. He might miss the start of the season. So careful, all of you drafting uh, your fantasy teams. Be wary of taking Michael Thomas in the first round. I took him fifth overall last year, and it was an absolute disaster. I wanted Derrick Henry he was taking one pick before me. This was the only time I was ever given a top five pick in this league and it went to waste. And now this year I'm back picking ninth, which is a, that's not, that's my number, but it's a terrible spot to be in. So we'll see if I, you know, can hopefully work my magic because I've been in the playoffs like five straight years. And then last year happened, which was a disaster. So anyway, we'll see what I can do from the ninth pick, but The Saints put Michael Thomas on the shelf, so they needed another wide receiver. And that's when they called up nine year veteran Chris Hogan, brought him in for a workout. And guess what? They signed him. Chris Hogan, who last played in the NFL a couple of years ago for my New York Jets. Guess what he did last year, ladies and gentlemen? Oh, you know, he just played professional lacrosse because Chris Hogan was a lacrosse player his whole life, then came and played football one year at Monmouth, and then somehow made it into the NFL and had a successful nine-year career and was really successful with the Patriots and Tom Brady. And now he is uh, signing with the Saints. So it would be a really, really cool story after sitting out a year to play lacrosse if he can make that final 53-man roster. Okay, let's talk a little bit of the Olympics for day four today. Huge, huge headlines for today. and it all starts, excuse me, with Simone Biles. But first, let me recap. The U.S. has a total now of 25 medals, nine gold, eight silver, eight bronze. That's the most of any country. Hot on their tails is China with 21 and uh, the Russian Olympic Committee with 18. But um, all anybody's talking about today is Simone Biles. So the uber-talented gymnast, guess what she did today, ladies and gentlemen? She withdrew after the first rotation, uh, her first rotation on the vault. Um, she was struggling and then decided to withdrew. Many uh, assumed it was injury-related. Well, it was not, as we would later find out. And what's sad about this is the American women came into the all-around team event as back-to-back gold medal champs and we're looking for the three peat when biles withdrew with what the team said at first was a medical issue. Oh no, no, no. According to Simone herself, it was not medical uh, it was not a physical issue at all. And it was sad because without her, the US they tried their best but it wasn't enough. They finished second to Russia and everybody's like, "Well, what the hell happened to Simone Biles?" Well, She addressed her withdrawal afterwards. Take a listen to this.
1: No, um, no injury, thankfully. And that's why I took a step back because I didn't want to do something silly out there and get injured. And it's been really stressful, this Olympic Games. I just felt like it would be a little bit better to take a backseat, work on my... Mindfulness, and I knew that the girls would do an absolutely great job, and I didn't want to risk the team a medal for uh, kind of my screw-ups because they've worked way too hard for that. So I just decided that those girls need to go in and do the rest of the competition. Yeah, I say um, put mental health first because... If you don't, then you're not going to enjoy your sport and you're not going to succeed as much as you want to. So it's okay sometimes to even sit out the big competitions to focus on yourself because it shows how strong of a competitor and person that you really are rather than just battle through it. Yeah, we're going to take it a day at a time. I know tomorrow that we have um, a half day or at least the morning off. Um, So it'll be a good mental rest. And so we'll take it from there.
0: Yeah, so she basically quit on her teammates and she's claiming that she didn't want to risk injury and she wasn't going to help her team. That's BS. What would Kobe Bryant say about this? Kobe Bryant tore his Achilles in basically a meaningless game and then stood up, walked to the free throw line and sunk two free throws. Yet Simone Biles wasn't even injured. She just was too stressed out and didn't feel like competing. First of all, how are you going through mental health issues? And I know that's a soft spot. That's a sore subject. You know, you can't really get on people for mental health issues nowadays. And I feel like that's just the quote unquote uh, thing to say. So people back off of you. But this is her what third, fourth Olympics, whatever it is. And she's dominated every time she stepped on that stage. There are no fans in attendance. There's no crowd cheering. There should be no nerves, no jitters, no stress whatsoever. This should be the calmest, easiest Olympics you've ever been in because there's nobody there. So I don't quite understand. Everybody's applauding her for the fact that, well, she was a great teammate, cheering her teammates on, giving them chalk when they needed it, and encouraging them. No, you quit and you didn't help your team win a gold medal, and therefore they lost and they finished with a silver medal behind Russia when you had a chance to three-peat. And what really aggravates me and what should aggravate a lot of people is the fact that she's saying, oh, well, we have a half day tomorrow and we'll see. And uh, basically, she's saying she's going to compete individually again now. If you're going to quit on your team like this and cite mental health issues, that should be it. There should be no more competing. I don't understand this. How can you just say, screw it? I'm not going to play, you know, compete today, but oh, tomorrow. Or, or, you know, Wednesday, Thursday or Thursday, Friday, whenever, she, you know, her next event would be, I'll, I'll I'll, stick it out. I'll do that. And I'll probably win gold anyway. It's just, it's insane. It's this, you know, it's this generation and I, I don't get it. I'm very old school and I'm, I, I'm going to say, you know, this is why the viewership numbers are down. Really? I haven't watched. I'm just you know seeing highlights that's based I'm watching through Twitter essentially um you know watch a little softball here and there which I will talk about now speaking of um, team US softball team USA uh softball back back finally for the first time since 08 olympics much needed um team USA had a couple close calls the last few nights got a couple late comeback wins in the latter stages of games including a walk-off home run win against Japan, and then they played Japan again this morning at 7 a.m. I did not get up early enough to watch it, but um, they lose that game two nothing, and they take silver. Unfortunately, I did not like a lot of the coaching decisions made. Um, I don't recall who the coaches for the U.S. team, but I did not like it. Starting Cat Osterman, then not then bringing in this young girl from Florida. And not using Monica Abbott and just all sorts of strange stuff that they were doing there. Um, So, yeah, they lose to Japan when we should have won the freaking gold. Um, But, you know, what can you do? Okay, then uh, Naomi Osaka. She's made headlines the last, uh, you know, since April when she withdrew from the French Open. Didn't want to talk to the media. Again, another athlete, female athlete, citing mental health issues. Okay, got to take her at her word, you know, the stresses of the sport. She's the highest paid female athlete in the world, and she wouldn't compete in the French Open. They tried to bend over backwards for her to make it work. They told her, okay, fine, you don't have to speak to the media, and she still wouldn't do it. So wh- what What gives? Go figure, right? Um, anyway, she was the world number two coming into the Olympics in her home country, Japan, home nation, and gets smoked in the third round and is eliminated just like that. Loses to the number 42 ranked player in the world, Marketa Vondrasova from the Czech Republic. She got smoked 6 1, 6 4 in straight sets. This was her first tournament since, coincidentally, that French Open that she withdrew from. I guess she probably shouldn't have withdrew from it so she'd get, get a little more practice and be ready for the Olympics. But, you know, this is that woke generation that, that we're talking about here. They think that uh, you can just wake up and, and win an Olympic gold in your home nation and it doesn't work like that. Um, so you know, this, this is what this is what happens, man. I, I just don't understand there are so many athletes and people that are watching that would basically cut off a limb to be able to compete in the Olympics. And they are just giving up on these dreams and quitting. And you know, not working hard enough to be ready. This should never have happened. She should not have lost in her home nation, no less. Um, just crazy, crazy, crazy. And you know, that that's that. Dem's the breaks. Okay, Team USA uh, women's uh, the women's basketball national team. They took down Nigeria eighty one seventy two uh for their first uh, win of the Olympic Games. They secured a 50th with the win, a 50th straight win at the Games, okay? Um, why is that significant? Because they have not lost since 1992, the year I was born. Oh my God. Yeah, that is straight up insane. Okay, that equates to six straight gold medals without taking a single L in the process. Team USA already, uh, the men already lost their first game being first since 2004. I thought that was crazy, but no, the women haven't lost since 1992. Just absolutely, absolutely insane. Okay, and then last but not least, the U.S. women's national team, um, they looked lackluster. uh, We're talking women's soccer. They looked very lackluster in their group stage. Uh, They lost their first game to Sweden 3-0, and Sweden ended up taking first in the group stage. They luckily drew 0-0 against um, Australia. Yeah, a zero-zero draw against Australia secured them second in group G. They move on to the knockout stages. And, you know, they're trying to say, Alex Morgan's trying to say, that they knew they needed to just draw, so they played it conservatively, put more girls back on uh defense, but let's let's call it what it is. They've looked bad. They've looked lackluster. Okay. Half of America, or uh, I shouldn't say half, but a good portion of America. Is rooting against them um, because they've sort of become these villains over the equal rights, equal pay, and all this stuff that they're asking for, and, and basically it's this whole thing about the female athlete um, wanting to be on the same level as the men when they're really, you know, not. But um, you know, listen, Team USA, I expect us to win. Every single match in every single sport. And I would expect no, no different from the women's soccer team. So I think they will step it up and we'll see. They should at least compete for gold, make it to the finals, and and we'll see what happens. Let's go. Um, So, yeah. And then. And finally, uh, we've reached the end of the show, so on this date in sports, take it all the way back to 1996 Olympics when Gail Devers becomes the second woman to win consecutive Olympic golds in the 100-meter following in the footsteps of fellow American Weomia in, uh who did so in 64 and 68. Jamaican Shelly Ann Frazier Price became the third woman to achieve the feat in 2008, and 2012. All right, guys, that's going to do it from location, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I hope you enjoyed. Hope you, uh, you know, like the episode. It's been a while. Um, Maybe I was a little bit rusty with today's show, but uh, I kept it under an hour, which is, you know, 50 minutes or so right now. So I'm okay with that uh might do another episode friday we'll see that would be the fir- i think a first to do two in one week maybe maybe not but uh yeah we should be back to business going ahead with this show on a weekly basis until maybe i do another audiobook that kicks my ass cuz that was a ridiculously long one um oh couple things i want to throw out there i just watched a funny movie um the hitman's uh Hitman, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. uh, That was the sequel to the Hitman's Bodyguard. Ryan Reynolds, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, and Selma Hayek. Funny as hell. I was dying the whole time. That's an action-packed movie. A lot of comedy throughout. Just hysterical, off the rails. Um, Then I watched uh, another good one last night. uh, Midnight in the Switchgrass. That was a little bit shorter, about an hour and a half. Megan Fox, Emil Hirsch, and Bruce Willis, he wasn't really in it that that long, but that one is about um, a truck driver who's basically kidnapping and killing girls in Florida, the panhandle, and a couple of FBI agents and um, a Florida um, law enforcement agent detective is trying to solve it. Anyway, um, a show I'm currently watching that I really highly recommend It is the final season. It airs on TNT on Sunday nights, and that would be Animal Kingdom. I've recommended this show to numerous people on Twitter before, but that is a great, great summer show, action-packed, off the rails. I love Animal Kingdom. I am very sad to see it go, but it's been like two years because the pandemic shut it down, so it's finally back for its final season. The third episode aired Sunday. I'm all caught up now. Um, I watched it yesterday, so I absolutely love that show. So, you know, throwing out a couple movie and TV show recommendations as well, because I'm big into that kind of sort of thing. So, anyway, guys, that's gonna end it here. Hope you guys stay safe with this new COVID Delta variant. I know the masks are probably going back on. So stay safe. Enjoy the weather. Um, enjoy the rest of your summer, and I will see you guys either Friday or oh no, probably not Friday, because I am going to be in the morning in a, uh, golf tournament. So, um, yeah, I might not do an episode Friday. We'll see. Anyway, um, I'm going to, you know, finish up producing this episode, throw it up and I will tweet it out when it's live and I will go watch the rest of this Yankee game. So hope you guys enjoy. I'll catch you next week. This is the Pody signing off.